People love him already. He's got the uh, Rhode Island twang. The long pass to Moore and a pin block from Martin. Tune in to Cam's corner. He's going <laughs> to make it here. Draws the foul for another Rhode Island in one. Podcast his own podcast. It's good off the backboard and in. Kind of great. And we are back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Cam's Corner on the way to 100. But today joining me, an ESPN broadcasting veteran in college basketball, also working in the NBA, MLB, and NFL with a number of jobs in the sports broadcasting world, New Jersey native and three-time Emmy winner, Rich Hollenberg. Rich, thank you for joining me, man. How has it been? How are you doing? And uh, with everything underway, you know, again, just overall, how are you feeling? Uh, It's a great time of year for me. Uh, Just got off a stretch of time where unfortunately I wasn't too busy because that means unfortunately the Rays didn't progress as far in the playoffs as we had all hoped down here in Tampa Bay. Uh, But that allowed me to hit the reset button, spend some time with the family, work on uh, some side projects that I'm really passionate about. And now basketball season's upon us. I'm already six games in and heading to Stillwater tomorrow for uh, a big East big 12 battle between Oklahoma state and Creighton. That's great. I got a um, PC and URI on Saturday, so that'll be fun. Everything's in full gear. It's uh, always great once college basketball starts up. Um, but I start every show almost the same way, um, whether it's a player, um, a coach, broadcaster. Very curious just to know, you know, the the background of everything. I'm an aspiring broadcaster as well. Um, at a young age, uh, you mentioned, I know that I saw that you went to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um you know, realize that you started this and sparked this passion at the age of 13. So just kind of talk about that and how that really um, started for you at such a young age. Yeah, you know, Cam, I, my story in some ways isn't that different, probably from a lot of sportscasters or aspiring sportscasters like yourself. But in a lot of ways, it is. I mean, we all run our own race. We all have our own unique path to get to wherever we want to get to. And I jokingly say I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I might have been born with a microphone in my hand. Uh, As early as seven years old for uh, Hanukkah, I remember my parents getting my sister and me uh, matching sets of microphones that we could sing into. Then a few years later, I was emceeing family events uh, in front of big family crowds. And that led to when I was about 13 years old, like you said, I was going to a summer camp in the Poconos area in Pennsylvania, and my head counselor of that sports camp was directly connected to the Syracuse basketball program. So right down the road from our camp was a very famous basketball camp called Five Star Basketball Camp, and we used to go back and forth. We'd shuttle over there, watch some of the high school stars that were there, and some of the college stars would come back and be counselors, and then... Gary, who was our head counselor, would bring some of the Syracuse guys back to our camp to run clinics. I fell in love with Syracuse then. I found out that some of my sportscasting heroes, Bob Costas, Dick Stockton, Marv Albert, the list goes on and on, Len Berman, they all went to Syracuse. So it was in my DNA in some way, and I didn't even know it. But at that point, as a 13-year-old, I said, not only am I going to be a sportscaster, but I am going to Syracuse to be a sportscaster. It was dyed in the wool at that point. And uh, luckily, here I am able to talk about it all these years later. Yeah, it's amazing. I was actually just going to ask you um, in high school, you know, how did 
you decide on Syracuse those early years, but I mean, you kind of answered the question right there. I mean, from that moment on, from you were 13, you already knew what you wanted to do. It was already set in stone. Um, but again, having that vision in high school, getting accepted into Syracuse, just talk about those programs, you know, early on, because someone like me, um, you know, obviously trying to get into as many programs as possible, the connections, all that stuff we'll get into that um, a lot of people ask me is just like, you know, how do I make the connections that I make and everything like that? I'm sure, obviously, you went through the same exact things. But um, just again, those early, early programs in Syracuse where you started to shine and, you know, kind of find your voice as a broadcaster. Well, again, Cam, one of the things that Syracuse is famous for, other than the Newhouse School, which is where you go if you are a broadcasting major, things have changed in the 30 years since I've been there. Now there is a dedicated sports media program. You can major in sports journalism. Uh, I majored in broadcast journalism. And one of the things that I am eternally grateful for are the journalistic skills that I learned in my first couple of years there. They didn't let you in front of a camera or holding a microphone until your junior year at Syracuse. You had to learn all the behind the scenes stuff and maybe even more importantly, you had to learn how to be a journalist before you could learn how to be a broadcast journalist. So I've had to fall back on those tools in my tool belt uh, a number of times. Uh, the one time more than any that really stands out is when I was still working at NFL Network as a correspondent and ended up quite accidentally um, covering the Aaron Hernandez case, which we all know about that at this point, 10 years down the road. But that was not a sports story. It was about an athlete, but it had nothing to do with sports and everything to do with hard news. And luckily, I had those tools and those skills that I learned from the Newhouse School at Syracuse to kind of bolster me in an area where I was otherwise a fish out of water. I was a reporter for NFL Network. I was doing play-by-play, -play, what have you. But I was not in the news business anymore. So those classes are, are things that, um, you know, at the time, I was probably like just get me through them, get me through them so I could get on TV. And now I look back and really, really value those highly. Uh, the other thing that Syracuse is really well armed with um, are the extracurriculars. WAER is, you know, the class in its field uh, for student run radio stations. They also have what was called UUTV when I was there. It's now called Citrus TV, which is a great opportunity to be part of a student run television station. I did all of that stuff, but I didn't go to Syracuse to be a play-by-play -play announcer like a lot of people did. Jason Benetti did it. The list goes on and on. I went because I thought I was going to be a sportscaster anchor. I, I thought I was going to be on ESPN and I was going to be hosting SportsCenter. And that was my career trajectory. Um, so I followed those lines. I wasn't interested in waking up at 5 a.m., and walking to WAER in the middle of a blizzard in the middle of winter at Syracuse just to rip scripts and pay my dues before I got cleared to get on the air. I was like, this isn't what I want to do, so I'm not going to do that. Um, turns out that, happy accident, I've now logged 15 plus years calling college basketball games on ESPN because of my experiences outside of Syracuse. Um, so the 
to answer your question, the programs that I did uh, really go back to the classwork that they offer there, and it is a robust curriculum, uh, but it's also the extracurriculars. And now more than ever, Cam, whether it's Rhode Island or Maryland or BU or any school that you go to, it's more about what you do at that school than what school you go to. And I'm not taking anything away from Syracuse. I still bleed orange and I still feel very passionately and loyally that it's the greatest communication school in the world. But there are a lot of other opportunities and a lot of other avenues that someone in college can take and still make a career out of this. It's not like it has to be Syracuse or bust or Northwestern or bust or Florida or Missouri or Georgia or Arizona State or any of the really well-known broadcast programs around the country collegiately. I think it's more about what you do in your situation than where you are in your situation. No, I agree with that a hundred percent because I mean, for me coming from the smallest state in the country um, it's, it's tough to get recognized um, with, you know, the ample amount of opportunities that there are all across the U S but um, for someone like me going into all these things, I was just like, I'm going to, you know, not be shy, just get into it, get my name out there, get everything out there that I can, like my tapes, whatever it is. Um, and again, like I said, a lot of students that are in the major, they've, you know, seniors that come up to me and ask for advice. I'm like, not that it's too late. Cause it's never too late to do anything, but it's like, you know, you were in this field for four years and like nothing, you never really applied yourself. You just said it perfectly. Um, it doesn't matter what school you're at, but it's what you do with the things that they have to offer. So I agree with that point hundred percent, but like going off of that as well comes the connections. So like, you know, with one trying to apply for all these things, you got to meet the people in the field as well. So when I'm at URI games broadcasting on like ESPN or on the student ran radio, there's local news stations there, which I got internships with and, you know, make connections that way for someone like you, when you were at Syracuse, what connections did you make to kind of, you know, get your foot in the door in certain opportunities? Well, first, let me say it's an excellent question because I am what I call a networking evangelist. Um, and I'll go back and explain that in just a second. But to answer your question, there's one person who really comes to mind first and foremost, more than any. And that was a professor I had my senior year in college at Syracuse. His name was Bob Lissett. He worked in news for a long, long time. So he was a broadcast veteran himself and brought a ton of experience to Syracuse with him when he became, became a professor. And he took me under his wing. We had a great relationship. I had a couple of classes with him. And after I graduated, I moved home without a job. I was teaching tennis to make money. Um, I got my first job that allowed me to move out of my house a little less than a year later, working for the Associated Press in Manhattan. And that had nothing to do with sports and nothing to do with television. It was, again, news. And that's where I was able to use my education very smartly. But it was an opportunity for me to live in a big city and live on my own. And I was really anx anxious to do that. So I did it. And it was uh, an opportunity for me to enterprise and spread my wings a little bit. And something that I tell, I, I um, run a sportscasting coaching business on the side, which I know you're aware of. It's called Break In and Break Through. And one of the tenets of what I say to all my students is, 
just say yes, right? There is no job that's too small. Uh, don't think of the salary as a deciding factor, especially when you're just starting out. Um, every opportunity you get is an opportunity for you to grow and learn and get better, even if it doesn't feel like it is at the outset. So I took that job at the Associated Press with that mindset. And then about a year later, keeping in touch with Professor Lissett, he called me up and said, hey, um, there's a, a sportscaster job open from, uh, I found out about it from what we call the Newhouse Mafia. All the graduates, all the alumni who keep in touch with each other and look out for other Syracuse grads. And it turned out that someone I had graduated with was a news reporter at a station in Great Falls, Montana, market 172 KFBB TV, and they were looking for a weekend sports anchor and a reporter. Are you interested? And I said, hell yes, I am. Again, just say yes. I'm from New Jersey. I'm a Northeasterner. I never left that area. But I wasn't too scared or too shy to say, Montana? I don't want to move to Montana. I was like, sign me up. I'm in. And I got the job on a phone interview. Remember, this was before internet, before Zoom or anything like that. Got the job over the phone, never been out there before, packed my bags and flew out to Great Falls, Montana. So that is, and then just to cap that story, six months after that, same conversation with the same person, Professor Lisson and I keeping in touch said, hey, there's another opportunity through the Newhouse Mafia. A recent graduate is leaving a job in Clearwater, Florida. It's a sports director job at a local cable station. Are you interested? And I said, Florida, that's closer to home. It's warm weather. And there are lots of pro sports teams down there. Sign me up. So my first two jobs in television were directly because of my, as you call them, connections. I call them relationships. We're in the relationship business. Mm -hmm. And it's not about getting in touch because that's easy these days. Social media makes it easy to get in touch. The key is staying in touch. How good are you with keeping up with these relationships that, let's face it, are selfish? You want these relationships so those people can help you. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what networking is all about. So that's why I'm a networking evangelist. Going back to what I mentioned a moment ago, I sucked at networking when I got out of college. I thought networking was type a letter to a TV station, send it to them. If they don't get back from you to you, move on. Even if they do get back to you and they say, thanks, but no thanks, move on. And that is the wrong attitude and the wrong stance to take. You need to build those relationships because sometimes if they're impressed with you, with what you do on camera, with how you hold, comport yourself off camera, maybe the next time around in a few months or in a year, that same job or a similar job would open up and they'd be like, you know what? Rich Hollenberg applied for this job last time. We had to turn him down. I wonder if he's still interested. If you don't respond to them after you communicate the first time, they're not going to remember you. You have to make yourself memorable. The way to do that is to maintain and nurture those relationships. I learned it the hard way. I coach people now to not fall into the same traps that I did. 
that is a huge proponent of my program, the Break In and Breakthrough program, is you have to fall in love with networking. It's not easy, but it is as good as any way to advance your career by yourself, by being an expert at networking. For sure. And I, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned, too, is I think every single person that I've talked to in the in the sports business, like outside of athletes and coaches, have told me to, just to say yes to everything. You know, I mean, like you said, you didn't want to at first be a play by play broadcaster. You wanted to be hosting ESPN and doing all these things, getting into news that just opens the door again with the, all the relationships that you've made. So um, I think I've been doing like kind of the same thing, like working in certain fields that I've never been um i guess equipped to or thought i'd be in but i do it because of the relationships that i make down the road that'll help me you know further in the future so um every point you've made i've agreed with i've experienced and i can't wait to experience more because um you know it's just getting started and um what was just wondering how long after that was it until you got your first um job in like um like a professional league like i know i think your first job was with the new jersey nets um like again a dream come true for a college student to work we're for a professional league. So I right. guess one, what was that feeling like? And two, how long was it from that point of working like non-sports related jobs? Well, I, I actually, I, I skipped over that part. So I'm glad you brought that up, Cam. And and good on you for doing your research and your homework. <laughs> um, that also, that was something I was doing while I was living at home. So when I graduated, the first job that I got that had anything to do with media is from the now defunct company that was called Sportsphone. And you can write a book about Sportsphone because it was located in Elmont, New York, which is out on the island. And all it was, was a company that catered to gamblers, right? Nowadays, even ESPN is in the gambling business, right? ESPN Bet just launched. Um, DraftKings is all over the place. We all know that story now. 30 years ago, it was not like that at all. So for people who like to gamble on sports, sports phone existed. It was the commercials on TV. I still remember the jingle for all your sports news instantly dial 976-1313. And it obviously cost whatever it was, 99 cents a minute and 99 cents for every additional minute, whatever it was. I got a job there and you would go to Elmont, New York, and they had a bank of television sets that showed every game that was on that day, college, pro, every sport, all on a wall for us to watch. And every hour on the hour, we had to go into a phone booth, dial a code, and give a one-minute sports update. And people would pay to hear those sports updates because, remember, no internet, no satellite TV, barely cable TV. So no one had any access until uh, uh, for up to the minute scores, except for sports phone. And then waiting for the 11 o'clock sportscast to come on your local news. That was it. So I did that for a while. And then they knew I lived in New Jersey and they said, are you interested in taking the New Jersey Nets beat? And what that was, was I was a stringer for sports phone. And for those people watching, listening, who don't know what a stringer is, you are at a game, you have a press credential, and basically you are calling in updates every 10 minutes, every 20 minutes with what the score is, who the high scores are, any headlines to the game that you're watching. And then you are a member of the media. You go into the locker room after the game, you do interviews. So I got that gig and it was 
phenomenal. I was on cloud nine, barely getting paid anything, but I was on cloud nine interviewing Chuck Daly, the head coach for the Nets, Derek Coleman, Kenny Anderson. They were the big stars for the Nets at the time. It was a dream come true. Um, and that was another tool in my tool belt that then I could say, add it on the resume and add it to my skill set that, yes, I might be 22 years old, but I've covered an NBA franchise. Um, so that was technically my first job in sports, even though it wasn't on television and it wasn't on the radio. Yeah. And then going down the timeline, of course, we'll, we'll touch base on a few other things too. Um, one of your biggest opportunities, of course, back in 2009, looking at everything, um, reporter and correspondent for the NFL, which you did for a while as well. And um, just like from job to job, like my my biggest um, interest and in, in wonder and question for you is like the mindset going from job to job, you know, the the process behind what your mindset is like, okay, I have this, like you said, I have this on my resume now. How can I make that better? How can I get to that next step? like year after year or, or, you know, however long time period it is. Like, what was your mindset like at that time? Well, it, it's funny. You're mentioning all this stuff, Cam, and it dovetails exactly into what I talk about in my program. As a matter of fact, you mentioned something about, do you have like your 100th episode coming up or something like that? A couple more. Yeah, I'll be there. Okay. So you're on the way to 100. It's really funny because starting December 1st, if you or anybody who's watching or listening follows me on social media, um, especially on LinkedIn, I'm going to be launching something on December 1st that has something to do exactly with that number, uh, 100. So stay tuned for that. That's a little bit of a tease. But one of the things that I talk about a lot in my programs and with aspiring sportscasters is the fact that there is value in versatility. I was really afraid when I was younger and starting to you know, cut my teeth in sportscasting that I was a, a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And I was really afraid that that was going to not help me get future jobs, but prevent me from getting future jobs. And then wouldn't you know it, back in 2000, um, I, had a, I was working for Fox Sportsnet. It was a brand new sports network at the time. And the show I had lasted for a year and then ended. After that show ended, I got recruited by, of all places, Home Shopping Network to come to work for them. And I said, I don't sell stuff on TV. I'm a sportscaster. And they said, we know, and that's why we want to hire you. We just signed a contract with the NFL, and we want you to host our NFL show every Monday during football season. And I said, that sounds great, but I don't sell stuff on TV. They said, did we mention that you'll be traveling with Monday Night Football and your show is going to be live on the field before kickoff of every Monday Night Football game. I said, where do I sign? <laughs> and so one of the very first games I got to was in Denver, Colorado. I'll never forget. We had Tony Dorsett on the show. But on the field before the game, I went over and introduced myself to Al Michaels. And one of the questions I asked Al was similar to the question you're asking me right now, Cam. I said to him, I'm working for Home Shopping Network. I'm here, I'm with you, but I'm working for HSN. Did I make a mistake? I, I really want to do what you do. I want to get to that mountaintop. Did I make a mistake? And he said, Rich, five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have told you you're crazy. It's career suicide to go to work for 
a network that doesn't focus on sports. But the walls are starting to come down and everything is starting to blend into one another. And instead of being in separate silos, they're getting kind of mixed. Cam, that was 20 plus years ago. How prescient is Al Michaels to tell me that 20 plus years ago when now everything is completely blurred? The lines have completely blurred. There's streaming services. There's gambling on television. All of the things that are happening now didn't exist back then, but Al had an eye toward the future. So I am so grateful for that advice that he gave me because it helped me keep that focus on, you know what, it's okay to spread your wings and try different things and become proficient at a number of different things, even if you might not be an expert in one or two things. Now, since then, obviously, I've kind of narrowed my focus. Half the year, I'm a reporter and a host. The other half of the year, I'm a play-by-play announcer. But it was before I took that job at Home Shopping Network that I was doing everything for that cable station that I told you about in Clearwater, Florida. I was hosting my own show. I was doing a call-in show. I was reporting. I was doing play-by-play on Friday nights of high school sports. I was covering pro teams like the Bucks and the Lightning and the Rays. I was calling minor league baseball with the Clearwater Phillies. I was doing everything. And that's what made me wonder, I don't know what I love the most. I don't even know what I'm the best at, but I know I want to do something like this. And that all led eventually to me getting my first crack at ESPN and my very first crack at ESPN, other than I was doing some freelance jobs with them for like X games kind of stuff, like not stick and ball sports, not the traditional sports. But my first break came in about 2008 when I got a call to do two college basketball games. That's it. They needed someone to fill in, like an emergency. And it was for a tournament in Orlando. The guy I knew knew I lived close by. So I said yes. Again, just say yes. And when I got there, I called those two games. I did a good enough job. They gave me five more games after that. And that was it. I couldn't make a living doing just seven basketball games. So I made the decision to go to Charlotte, which is where my coordinating producer worked and lived. And I lied to him. And I said, I'm going to be in Charlotte on business. Let's grab coffee. And he said, great. The night before he called me up, he goes, I don't know what you were planning on wearing while you're up here, but make sure you bring a suit. And I said, why? And he said, because Gary Williams, the Maryland head coach, just announced he's retiring and we want to do a one hour special and we don't have a host. This is when ESPNU was just started. So I flew up there the very next day, hosted a one hour special for ESPNU, sight unseen, Dick Vitale, Dino Gaudio. I had the very first interview nationally with Gary Williams after he made his announcement. And I met with the bosses for the first time after that and they said, We didn't know you did this. We thought you were a play-by-play guy. You might be better at anchoring than you are at play-by-play. And that got my foot in the door at ESPN. Again, because I said yes, and because I wanted to meet people in person. Those two things, networking, relationship building, and just saying yes, started my career for me at ESPN. 
Yeah, it's honestly, it's it's super inspiring because it's just down the line of just, like you said, saying yes. And those opportunities just come and come and come with all the hard work, um, dedication, all the like the passion, of course, is what sparks all of this. But um, it really it really is eye opening, you know, just telling those stories. It's like I feel like I was in those moments with you when you're describing it. It's pretty cool. Um, and of course, you talk about people like Dick Vitale and all like the legendary sportscasters and obviously college basketball is what drew me to you and, and to your work and everything like that, which made me dig deeper into what you do. Um, talking a little bit more about college basketball. I did want to ask um, if you have a memorable Dick Vitale story, because he is one of my favorites. You know, I look up to him, um, but just working alongside him a little bit. Do you have one of those memorable moments with him? I'm sure there's a ton, but if you could think of one. Yeah, there are a ton. Uh, probably, honestly, I would have to, there, there are a couple. Um, <laughs> I would say the first one was the first time I got to meet him. And I was starstruck. Dick Vitale is the reason I fell in love with college basketball. I I wish I still had it. I have every one of his books. But the very first book that he wrote, uh, I had it in paperback. I read it so many times that the pages got frayed and curled and bent. I wish I saved that book because I, I would have had him sign it. Uh, but the first time I got the call to work with Dick, I was covering the Missouri Valley Conference, and it happened to be at a time when Wichita State was really good, so good that ESPN wanted to put Dick on one of their games. Normally, uh, a play-by-play announcer of my level would have gotten bumped off that game. But my boss, God bless him, saw something in me and said, we're not going to bump Rich. We're going to leave him on the game. And Dick's going to go to Wichita and they're going to call the game together. So that was the first time I got to meet Dick Vitale. And it wasn't so much working with him. It was like a blur. It was like a, a, an out-of-body experience. But it was hanging out with Dick before the game. Totally different scenario than working with any other analyst. He has to have his own room because otherwise he can't get work done because so many people want a piece of dick. He's like a rock star everywhere he goes. So he has his own room at every gym he goes to to call a game. So I got to hang out in Dick's room at Coke Arena in Wichita. And then the game ends and we had talked obviously a bunch and turns out Dick lives 45 minutes from where I lived in St. Petersburg. The game ends, he said, when are you flying home? I said, well, I'm staying over tonight. The game, it's too late to fly out now. I'm going to fly home tomorrow. He goes, forget it. Fly home with me. I go, fly home with you? He goes, I've got a jet. You'll come with me. We'll land. You'll get a car service back home. Don't worry about it. And so my very first meeting with Dick Vitale, I got to fly on Dick Vitale's jet back home to Florida from Wichita. The only other story I could think of off the top of my head really is more personal stuff. Mm. Dick's a big Tampa Bay Rays fan, so I see him a lot during baseball season. And I love visiting with him and spending time with him. I go to the Dick Vitale Gala every year. It's always a treat. And believe me, as legendary as he is as uh, for, for college basketball, he his legacy is going to be as a warrior fighting to defeat pediatric cancer. He is an absolute phenomenon at his age, doing what he does all the time. God bless him. There's no one like him doing that. 
And we became close enough that my youngest son, who's now a freshman in high school, but he was in, I want to say, fourth grade at the time. And he had to do a school fundraiser project. So I said, Brian, why don't you choose the V Foundation? And you could do jump shots for Jimmy. And so he did that fundraiser. And one of the biggest things that helped him raise money was as a family, we went out with Dick and Lorraine Vital to dinner. And my son, Brian, got to interview him. And it was phenomenal. Something I'll never forget. Something my family will never forget. And Dick's like family to me now. We exchange Christmas cards and I get cookies every year in the mail from him and Lorraine. Um, he is just as good as you might think he is on TV. He's that much better to, to hang with off camera in person. Yeah, and that's why you do it. It goes beyond basketball. Um, I think that's amazing. And, you know, going off of like memorable moments, like I'm sure there's a ton that you've had on the call. And um, again, with all the ample amount of opportunities you've had with the NFL and the MLB, um, I did want to know, though, again, like you kind of tackle all these things at once uh, sometimes and it, it can get one stressful and two like overwhelming. Just how do you tackle all of that at once with all the opportunities and all the responsibilities that you have to tackle in the course of a year? Well, <clears throat> I think, Cam, there comes a point in your life and your career uh, where you start looking at things a little differently. You know, I, I'm married now for 20 plus years. I have three kids, one in college, one a senior in high school and one a freshman in high school. And I realized that I missed what a lot of sportscasters miss because the sports calendar doesn't care about holidays, doesn't care about working at night. It doesn't care about working on weekends. It doesn't care about birthdays in your family. So I missed a lot of those things as my children were growing up. And my family is my why. They allow me to live out my dream year after year after year. So at a certain point, and it was not that long ago, I decided that instead of just saying yes to every single thing, I needed a little bit more balance in my work-life fulcrum. And so I started making sure I took some time off during the baseball season. Instead of doing 155 games, now I do maybe 145 games. Might not sound a lot like a lot, but it allows me maybe the ability to take a vacation with my family when for those six months, I'm not able to do that. Um, I get to do a Georgia game every year now that my son is at University of Georgia all because he's there. I cover the Big 12. I don't cover the SEC. I used to, but not anymore. All you have to do is ask, and you'd be surprised at how, how many times you get the answer that you hope for, but are afraid you might not get when you ask for those things. So, uh, you know, that's how I balance it now. It, it's a tricky balance. It's a tightrope. Um, I'm missing my youngest son's first JV game as a freshman, Thursday night because I'm going to be in Stillwater. Luckily, in this day and age, they have streaming services, and I'll be able to watch his game on my phone. Uh, but there are sacrifices you have to make all so you can keep your eyes on the prize to get to where you want to get to and enjoy living the dream that you and me and everyone else who wants to and is a sportscaster um, continues to have as you go on throughout your career. For sure. Super inspiring story, Rich. Again, like I said, I appreciate the time. Sure. Um, don't know why on my Zooms, I have like a time limit. I wish I could talk. I mean, <laughs> we went through your entire career. We'd be here for a while. And I would love to, of course, listen to that being an aspiring broadcaster. But to cap things off, um, 
million dollar question I ask everybody at the end. What did you think of Cam's Corner? And again, your your final advice to future broadcasters and aspiring broadcasters like myself. Uh, well, you saved the the lowest hanging fruit for last, Cam. <laughs> uh, first of all, I will say this: kudos to you for doing this. Whether it's broadcasters or athletes or coaches, you are living the example that I think all aspiring sportscasters need to follow. You are getting out there and you are doing it. You're getting reps, whether it's on a podcast or at a radio station or at a TV station, you have the cans on, you have the microphone in front of you and you are doing it, my friend. So kudos to you for that. Love this. Happy to come back anytime. The second thing is the best advice I would give and this might sound, you know, self-serving, but check out my website, richhollenberg.com. I designed my program two years ago to give back to the next generation, just like people, the generation before me, gave to me. And what I found, and it's really humbling and also really inspiring to learn, everyone is happy to help, but you just have to ask for that help. You can't expect people to knock on your door and say, hey, Cam, can I help you find a job? Or, hey, pal, let's look over your demo reel so I could help help you make it better so you could get that next job or anything like that. You have to ask for help. And no one does it by himself or herself. I think we are a community of sportscasters. And I've created that community with my break-in and breakthrough program. We have over 100 alumni already. Uh, The next cohort starts January 7th, and all the details are on my website. And what I say on my my website at richhollenberg.com is, you have the talent, now what? Right? There's so many people who are talented, who could do what you and I do, but they don't know how to put those talents to use. I show you how to do that. And I show you all the pitfalls to avoid too, because I suffered through those. That doesn't mean the next generation has to suffer through those. So um, it's a growing community. It's getting better all the time. And um, it's just like Dickie V's legacy is raising funds for pediatric cancer. Um, My legacy is not going to be my college basketball calls for ESPN or my shows that I do for the Tampa Bay Rays. This is my legacy. The break-in and breakthrough program is my legacy. We're two years in and we are just getting started. So um, I invite anybody who's listening to this who is an aspiring sportscaster to at least check it out and at very least reach out to me on social media. I'll definitely check it out for sure. Everyone listening, go check into that for sure. If you want to be an aspiring broadcaster like myself and of course, like Rich, he's already been doing it. I mean, for a number of years now and um, again, so just super appreciative that you can join me. Just keep tuning into Camp's Corner. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Rich, one more time, thank you very much for joining me. Salute, Camp. Thanks. On a break.